From WNET in New York, hi, I'm Tom Stewart, and welcome to WNET Up Next, where we take you behind the scenes for a look at what's happening in the world of public media and help you get to know the people who create our programs. Today, you'll get to meet two guests, both key players in the production of a new documentary being presented by NJTV and airing across the country on PBS. The program is called Military Medicine Beyond the Battlefield, and it's very appropriately being broadcast November 9th, two days prior to Veterans Day. And right now, it's my pleasure to welcome the executive producer and writer of Military Medicine, Sally Garner. Sally, thanks for being with us. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. Sally, military medicine, could you just fill us in and give us a bit of an overview on what this is all about? Well, it's in our documentary with our host, Bob Woodruff, who was himself injured while reporting for ABC News back in 2006. And what we look at here are the advances over the last 15 years in medical technology and science and research that's really been born from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and the kind of wars we fight today. So we look at advances in prosthetics. We look at advances in tourniquets and blood treatment, things that were born on the battlefield and things that have been developed as our wounded service members have come home. And where did the idea for this come from? This idea actually came out of a series of meetings that um, predated my knowing about the project. Mm -hmm. And Neil Shapiro and other people here were talking about uh, initiatives they wanted to develop about veterans. And this idea sort of was a part of a bigger project and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, as part of an initiative they call Veterans Coming Home, funded this documentary. That's really wonderful. And this is actually the first NJTV doc to receive an airing on the PBS system. So congratulations. Thank you very much. We're very proud of that. And our general manager, John Servideo, and people at NJTV have been hugely supportive of me uh, being able to have the resources to go forward with this. And for our station, it's the very first one to air on PBS stations. And as you've been saying, that your host and anchor, Bob Woodruff from ABC, had a very personal experience with military medicine in his own life when he was injured. Uh, Can you reflect a little bit on his story? Bob was injured on a reporting trip, and what's really happened is while he himself uh, spent 36 days in a medically induced coma and eventually recovered and has gone back to work, he learned along the way, he and his wife, Lee Woodruff, that there were many veterans who were not aware of all of the treatments that could be available to them, and there was not all of the support. And he's gone on to spend a lot of his time over the last decade reporting on these very issues. So to be able to put it all together in one hour was really exciting for him. Well, he makes the perfect host for this, and he he actually revisits the hospital where where he was treated in in Germany, noting, uh, thankfully, in a way, that the hospital is a little less active than it was when he was there. A yeah, a lot ago. less active, actually. And he um, that's the first time he's been back in the 10 years since he was injured. So he went to Landstuhl, a regional medical center in Germany. We were there together. And then we went to the air base at Rammstein, where he was transported from their home. And this is one of the big developments in military medicine in this past 15 years. They've really improved the amount of time that it takes for wounded soldiers, airmen, Marines, to be brought back to combat hospitals in the United States to critical care and advanced care facilities. In Vietnam, it was 45 days before the wounded got home to the United States. 
Now it's down to f- four days. It averages about four days now. And Bob, it was only three days from the point of injury till he was back here in the U.S. in Bethesda at the Naval Hospital. And this must make a huge difference in the ability to treat these guys. Yeah, it's incredible. And we visited, um, you'll see in the documentary, Bob visits a C-17, which is equipped as a flying ICU. And these critical care air transport teams that are on these planes, when you get on inside the C-17, it's really astonishing to see the level of care and the advanced medical technologies that are available to get these men and women home quickly and treat them the whole way home. What was it like for Bob to go back to that hospital? It was really great to be there with him. He's retraced every step of his journey from the point of injury. He's been back to Iraq. He's been everywhere. He's been many times back to the hospitals he was treated. This is the one place that he had never returned to. So he was really anxious to see what it was. He said, I've never been here. He was not. That's right. He has no memory of it. And so he was really moved by the people who maybe had seen him somewhere along the line, but weren't there at the time. So he met a young doctor who was actually at Walter Reed being an intern when Bob was first starting to do some rehab, when he first regained consciousness. So it wasn't that he met him there. It wasn't that he treated Bob and Lanschel, but he had met Bob and Bob had no memory of him. And they had such fun talking to each other. And he wanted to see the lists of names of people who were treated. He found the name of a doctor who had treated him there in a, in a log book that they had. So it was really, it was moving for me to see how much respect he has for the people who took care of him and how much he's devoted his own life to making sure we all remember all of those people because they're always doing their jobs. And I think there's a lot that we don't know about military medicine. One of the uh, big surprises for me, there's a wonderful medical school that is related to the government. Can you talk about that? Well, not the government, the, the military. All right. The Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences, which I had never heard of, and I've been in the reporting and journalism world for a long time, as has Bob. It is where um, military medical doctors, researchers, nurses, many of them receive their training there. Like West Point, it's if you're admitted, it, you become a member of the military. So if you're a civilian and you get in, you're, you enlist and you don't enlist, you're commissioned. And if you're already in the military and you decide you want to go to medical school, you actually are allowed to do this. It's free. And then you serve your country as a doctor or a researcher. And it's really an incredible place. It's a 100-acre wooded campus in Bethesda, Maryland. We spent a great deal of time there. And uh, we spent time at a training exercise called gunpowder, where the young doctors are sort of running through field-type situations with mannequins and other students pretending to be injured. And it's really quite incredible to see what they do and, and how prepared they are and how they train for mass casualties, which unfortunately has become a big part of civilian medicine. So there's a real overlap here, too, between the benefit to not just the military, but the benefit to civilians in the United States who are 
benefiting from these kinds of breakthroughs and trainings when we have mass casualty events. I was thinking there's almost a parallel with the space program. The space program generated so much technological advance for us in the country. And unfortunately, it's military medicine, which is creating these opportunities to advance these techniques. Yeah, you have this terrible, dark worst part of mankind, which is war. But the medical advances that come from war are extraordinary. Um, Nobody wants anyone to be injured and nobody wants anyone to fight a war. But it happens. And every time we fight wars, there are these kinds of breakthroughs. So in Korea, you saw the beginning of uh, the medevac helicopter programs really came out of the Korean War. It's the first time they started evacuating people with helicopters. Mm -hmm. We take that for granted now as civilians. What was it like for you to be out there in the field, journalistically speaking, interviewing all of these, uh, many of them severely injured in the war, and now on a path toward recovery and living full lives? How, How did that affect you personally? It was a privilege. I mean, this wasn't an assignment. This wasn't something where I thought, oh, gosh, you know, here we go. I've got to learn about this very difficult scientific subject, and how am I ever going to do this? It was a privilege to be with these people. They are um, the best. And so from the actual wounded veterans who we spent a great deal of time with, Ramon Padilla, he lost his arm in Afghanistan. We spent time with Alana Duffy, who had a traumatic brain injury. We spent time with Dale Beatty, who lost both of his legs in Iraq. All three of those people were, it was just a privilege to be with them. I learned more from them uh, than I learned from anyone, any scientist, any researcher. But I have to say that you don't do these programs by yourself. So I had this great team. Uh, I had a wonderful young veteran, Air Force veteran, who worked with us in the beginning of the program as a production assistant, Nick Lodato. And then uh, Rachel Kahn-Taylor joined us as a researcher, and she had enormous experience with post-production and all of the footage that we had to acquire, much of it from the military. They have their own archives. And then my producer, Ali Gimbel, who was just extraordinary and was able to find things that we just had no idea were out there. So it was Ali who located the Human Engineering Research Laboratories in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. where we got to see the wheelchairs with arms, which I'm sure it's you... It's pretty amazing. Yeah. The, the MeBot. I the, think MeBot the MeBot also is something Ali is an expert on the MeBot. Okay, so. well, we'll talk to her about that. But, but I want to ask you, is there a project on the horizon that matches this for you? I don't think any project is ever going to match this for me because it really was such a privilege to work on such a fascinating uh, story and have this much science in it and all of these veterans and uh, military people who I got to know so well. But I'll be working on a new series in New Jersey where we're going to start a series called Treasures of New Jersey, which will mimic our Treasures of New York series, which is so successful. So look for Treasures of New Jersey next, next spring. Sally Garner, thanks for being here. Thank you. And with us right now is Sally's number one colleague in the creation of Military Medicine, the show's producer, Allie Gimble. Allie, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much. Uh, This is where I really can't resist uh, a comment about your first names, uh, working together as producers, uh, Sally and Allie, or is it Allie and Sally, and who gets first billing? 
It's usually Sally and Allie, and it's funny that you say that because uh, Bob was one of the biggest fans of the Sally Allie duo. It made it very easy to remember who he was working with. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm not alone. No. Okay. And I think also Garner and Gimbel, or Gimbel and Garner, could be the name of a uh, a major firm of a, some kind. Or a band. Or or band. Or band. Anyway, <laughs> having said that, uh, it's a wonderful film. Uh, this is a project that, of course, has many moving pieces, as we were talking about with Sally, uh, many locations that you shot on, many different people. And you were really responsible for getting a lot of that happening. How does that happen? Take us back to square one. You've got an idea. You've got an outline for a program. Start filling in those pieces. Sure. So we started out with an outline that Sally had actually written uh, as part of the proposal for the project. And using that as kind of a a foundation for what we were ultimately going to want to to accomplish, Mm -hmm. I started making phone calls to professors, you know, research facilities, people that were named in the treatment, and also people who I was talking to through other organizations. So give me an example of, a, of so, one in particular. So for was, example, one one group that, and Sally had mentioned this earlier, we were interested in talking to an organization called the Paralyzed Veterans of America. And through conversations with that group, I was introduced to the Human Engineering Research Laboratories in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And when I found out about that place, I'll go to Sally with the proposal and say, okay, this lab in Pittsburgh that's doing some really amazing research, uh, we should go there. Mm -hmm. In other cases, there were researchers or doctors that were working on, for example, uh, Dr. Anthony Atala in Wake Forest, who was doing some amazing research on uh, regenerative medicine, which was a science that just blew my mind and took me a couple days of the black hole of Google mm-hmm. to uh, to learn about. And it was really just about connecting with these people, setting it up, explaining to them what we were trying to do, and finding out what they were doing and how we could bring the two missions together mm-hmm. uh, or connect what they're doing to what we are doing. And how many different locations did you visit? It seems like a vast oh. number. We ended up visiting... We went to Pittsburgh to the uh, Human Engineering Research Laboratory. This is at Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. Yes, and that lab is also a partnership with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and the Pittsburgh VA. We went there. We went to the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in North Carolina. We went to the Center for the Intrepid in San Antonio, Texas, which was an amazing facility that we had a wonderful opportunity to visit and spend a good amount of time there to see what they were doing. The work that they do with the wounded soldiers was just so inspiring. In addition to being a journalist working on this project, what was your response in meeting these guys and dealing with this? So I don't come from a military family. I don't know very many military service members personally in my own life. So what was incredibly impactful for me was to be able to interact and talk to uh, people who have had an experience that I just had no concept of what that's like. And it was such an eye-opening experience for me there. And it's something that I feel extremely lucky and why I want to pursue a career in this field is the opportunity to meet people with different perspectives. And people, I mean, these were amazing people that we met. And it was really um, an honor to be able to be a part of telling their story. I was very struck by uh, the Pitt story, uh, particularly the gentleman who runs the project is himself a disabled person who uses a wheelchair. But it's led to this incredible robot wheelchair 
Uh, tell me more. I need to know more. So one of the things that was being developed at Hurl when we were there was pretty cool to, that we got to, a chance to see. It's called the Mebot. We found out that one of the issues that, that wheelchair users face, even in an ADA-compliant world where sidewalks are supposed to have ramps, you know, I'm sure you know even just walking down the street, they're not perfect. And a lot of hospital visits by wheelchair users are attributed to tips and falls off oh. curbs. And what the graduate students and researchers at Hurl have been working on is a robotic wheelchair that is able to navigate rough terrain and steps. And how that it does that is beyond my ability to completely comprehend, but they're using all these really cool new technologies to make it so that the wheelchair can kind of like lift itself up over a curb. Mm -hmm. And I know that the, the wheelchair was going to some competitions in Switzerland to show the robotics world what they're doing. And, you know, we wish them the best of luck. I think it's a little further down the line. They're still in development, but it was really cool. But we definitely see the Mebot featured prominently. Yeah, in yeah. You get to see, get to see some, to some other... shots of the Mebot and, and um, some robotic arms that they're developing there to help wheelchair users who might have upper arm mobility issues or difficulties uh, be able to do things like open a refrigerator door or open a front door of a house or ring a doorbell. Uh, so that was really cool to see, Just too. Just amazing things. Yeah. And, and one of the most touching things, I think, in the whole film is when we see this coffee shop where mm. veterans veterans get together. Could you touch on that a little bit? That was a lovely, uh, a lovely coda almost to the piece. Yeah. Richard's Coffee Shop was such an, an inspirational place. And we almost we kind of found that location not not on accident. We'd heard about it through another reporter in the local area who we had talked to. And just so happened that we were going to North Carolina to film at the Wake Forest Institute for Generative Medicine. And the day before was the Thursday free coffee day. Called them up and they were like, come on by. We've got free coffee. We have hundreds of veterans come by every Thursday. And we didn't really know what to expect when we got there. It was like just such a warm, special place. It fit perfectly in at the end of the program there. I think it shows us, too, that you know, healing goes beyond medicine and beyond the technology and beyond all of those things, too. Absolutely, absolutely. It's about community. It's about having relationships with people uh, in your life, your family, or friends who support you. And in the case at Richards, they're really, like, welcoming them home. And I got the impression that the whole Veterans Coming Home project is about that. It, there is this sort yeah. of divide between people who have served in the military and many people who uh, have no knowledge or no connections with that. So this will heal that, I think, in, in, in some way. Absolutely. So what's it like to get back into the editing room for a project like this? Being in the editing room is one of my favorite parts of the process. It's certainly the hardest and the most, uh, at times, very uncertain. But at the same time, it's like it's the place where all the creativity really happens and the magic happens once you start to see everything, all of the work that you put into the filming and the pre-interviews and the interviews and the shooting and all of that it comes together. And once the editor, and in our case, our editor, Lisa Palatella, was just spectacular at finding some of the great nuggets of footage that we had and then stringing that together in a really compelling narrative with the excellent script that Sally wrote. It's just so great to see those stories really come to life. 
Now, I know you started here as a very young woman. You're still a very young woman. Yeah. You started here uh, right out of college, and you have gone through many different steps and become a producer. What, what's motivated your, your journey here? I have always been really passionate about stories, and I feel like here at WNET and in public media, we are passionate about those same things. The stories and the people that public media and that WNET, and in this case, this film, are telling are so meaningful and they're responsible. And that's just been a large driving factor of why I love working here. Ellie Gimple, thanks so much for being with us today and all the best going forward. And thanks to uh, executive producer Sally Garner, who is also with us. The program again, Military Medicine Beyond the Battlefield, premiering around the country on most PBS stations on Wednesday evening, November 9th. Very informative and moving piece of filmmaking. Thanks for listening, and be sure to be back with us again soon for another edition of WNET Up Next. We'd love you to share your questions and comments with us at upnext at wnet.org, and we certainly hope that you become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.